Meanwhile, in a classroom in Texas... What are you doing? I'm eating my pudding. Did you have your meat? No, I haven't had it yet. If you don't have your meat, you can't have any pudding! Youth is wasted on the young, so don't let someone take yours away. Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball show from the fans' perspective. Let's Get To presents the first pitch. Opening thoughts from James Christopher. And welcome back to Let's Get To. I'm your host, James Christopher. And, you know, this is another one of those um, old man yells at cloud kind of, uh, kind of openings. And some of you probably hate that. And by all means, move on to the really cool interview we have later on with the Charleston Dirty Birds. Some of you might think it's funny because what's funnier than a guy losing his grip on reality, but I'm still caught up in this lack of ability that we have to let people like things, to let people enjoy things. I don't understand why we as a human species take joy out of removing joy from someone else. I'll never, I'll actually never understand it and I'll continue to try to work through uh, that, that kind of issue or, or question about it. And this comes from, you know, a good friend of our show and a podcast you should be listening to, the Dad Hat Chronicles, I think it was him, posted something about bringing a mitt to a ballpark. And as often happens, it it starts a ripple effect of people weighing in on that. And I've seen it happen in person where people sort of mock the concept of an adult bringing a, a baseball mitt, a baseball glove to a game. And I... I, for the life of me, don't understand why. I usually have a mitt with me. Now, sometimes it's in my equipment bag, and by the time I've gotten through shooting and stuff like that, I just don't take it out. But usually, there's one within within my grasp. And so, it's one thing to decide, hey, I don't want to bring a mitt. It's another thing to say, I want to bring a mitt. What I don't understand is is the mocking for people that do. I look at it this way. Generally, when you see a dad with a mitt, it's because he's a dad with a mitt and he's got a kid with him. And what to what we you know what a baseball mitt at a baseball game uh, says to me when someone brings their glove. To me, it's hope. To me, it's possibility. To me, it's we could get a ball. We could get that that um, rarest of baseball souvenirs. Um, the thing that took me until my early 40s to actually get one legitimately, a foul ball. And so why wouldn't we want to have that? Why wouldn't we want uh, that kid, you know, th- think about when you were a little boy or a little girl and you're walking up and you're holding your dad or your mom's hand and you see the stadium come up to you in the, f- in, you know, in the foreground, right? You know, um, when you would go to the Astrodome when I was growing up, it was like that. It was like coming over off the freeway, and then you see this just big, mo- ma- monstrous, magical place of possibility. 
And, and my grandfather was a mitt guy. And I don't know if he just did it because he had me or whatever, but he had his glove every single game. My grandfather, who fought in World War II, had his glove at every game. And I remember having this moment of thinking, like, we're going to get a ball. Because if we if he wouldn't have brought his, his mitt if we weren't going to get a ball. Why take that away from someone? Why? Why? If if my buddy Ed wants to take his mitt when he's taking his daughter to his first Indians game, a team that he loves and a team that he's going to pass that joy on to, and now she's going to think anything's possible in this stadium, in this ballpark, why take it away? And, and who hurt you so much that you feel the need to take it away? I don't get it. I'll never get it. And I remember um, one of my favorite movies is The Crow. And I... Uh, for as much as the movies that I made were very, very similar to sort of John John um, Hughes movies or Cameron Crowe movies, you know, they were about angsty guys trying to trying to wrap around his head around his own feelings. I don't know that I ever would have made a movie if I hadn't seen The Crow. And uh, you know, 1994, senior in high school, went to see the movie, blown away by the movie, and then went immediately back to see it again. Like ditched friends because I. Something in me said I need to absorb this again. And it was this like combination of, of art design and music and, and the performance and just the tone was something that I hadn't really seen before. But there is a moment in that movie that stuck with me. And it's where uh, Dollar Bill's character is like, hey, I remember my dad gave me this snow. It was a snow globe with a cemetery. And he said, my dad told me that childhood is over. The minute you realize that you're going to die. And that's depressing and true. And it brings me back to the baseball glove situation at a ballpark because we start taking away those things that make us children at heart, that make us innocent, that make us in some ways, you know, the best form of ourselves when we were full of nothing but possibility. We start taking that away. What are we left with? And what's the point? You know, so you want to bring your glove to the ballpark because you think you're going to catch a foul ball. And for a second, you can be six years old and think that that's a thing that happens to everyone. Do it. Do it. Do it. If you are a Yankee fan and you want to put a name on the back of your jersey because, you know, the Yankees have had a lot of good players. Not all those numbers are retired and you wanted to know that it was that guy that you're wearing, do it. Who cares what other people think? I've seen people mock um, Astros fans because, you know what, they don't have a lot of money, and the jerseys are expensive, so they buy the knockoff ones from China that are just like a little bit off. I mean, I've got one right here, right there. Um, Why? Because, you know what, that stuff's expensive. People don't have the money they used to have, and for what what they want to do is feel, again, like a kid, like, like life can be Life can be whatever we want it to be, and you don't you don't have to be weighed down by your financial situation at that moment. And so why make a point? And I've seen it happen where they call them out in person. Why? What if we just decided to let people do their thing? And and I think that we would be a lot happier now. And I think I think part of you know, we're in a spiral of hate, and we're in a spiral of nasty. And we are in a spiral of um, just awfulness. And I, I really wish we could get to a point 
where we could just let people like things in the best possible way and understand that my grievance with you liking something I don't like isn't worth me dragging you down, and it's more my issue. So anyway, we do have a great show for you today. Um, We're going to be talking to the Charleston Dirty Birds about their brand new rebrand that they really threw at us, and I love everything about it. I do want to do a shout-out to uh, Eric Mertens, Eric the Peanut Guy. Uh, There are a few people on this planet that talking to them always puts you in a better mood, so I appreciate it. Everything, everything that you're doing. Like I said, great show. Stay with us. Who's on first? The Let's Get to Local 9. Brought to you by Zoomer Sport. So we are super excited to be welcomed on Let's Get to Mr. Chuck Domino, member of the front office for the Charleston Dirty Birds. Chuck, how's it going, man? It's going great, Jim. Uh, wrapping up our first season in Charleston uh, with a big home win yesterday, uh, walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth in our last home game and trying to go into the uh, playoffs with a little momentum. Yeah, here's hoping you get there. I know you said your magic number is is to the point where you can start counting it on one hand, and that's always a special place to be in baseball. Yeah, correct. Um, let's talk a little bit about you before we kind of dump into the rebrand that accompanied the move to the Atlantic League. Uh, I, I'm presuming you grew up as a kid Loved baseball. How do you end up as a member of a front office for a professional baseball team? How did, how did that go from 12 years old to now? Okay, well, it's, it's good that you mentioned 12 years old because that's about the time I started following the Pittsburgh Pirates growing up in Pittsburgh. Uh, my first game ever there was at Old Forbes Field in, in 1969 against wow. the Montreal Expos, the first year the Montreal Expos were in existence. And, and I had was a year later, I was at the last game ever played a doubleheader against the Cubs at Forbes Field. And I was at the first game at Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, uh, like 10 days later. So I've uh, been a Pittsburgh Pirate fan uh, my whole life. The first uh, 20 years weren't bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, well, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. 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 The last the last 30 have been a little little rough, but uh, nevertheless, I'm still a Pittsburgh Pirate fan. Um, I, I broke into minor league baseball as an intern with the Oklahoma City 89ers after my uh, sports management degree at Biscayne College, now called St. Thomas University in Miami, Florida. Uh, I graduated in December of, uh, of 82 and re- went right to the Oklahoma City 89ers as an intern. And, you know, once you're in the once you're in the, the business and you're in the small circle, you hear about other jobs and that winding road took me through. Idaho and Oregon and like three years after my internship I was the general manager of the Reading Phillies and for for many many years um, and since then I was the president of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs the uh, Richmond Flying Squirrels and then I started a, my own minor league baseball consulting business while still uh, having some uh, full-time positions in with teams like Richmond and Reading and uh, and I just got to travel a lot of the country and saw a lot of ballparks and a lot of operations, helped where I could. And after COVID, you know, kind of shut a lot of people down. And then this opportunity presented itself in Charleston, West Virginia, with the West Virginia Power, which is a good segue into what we're going to talk about. But uh, all these years of minor league baseball, to be honest, Jim, I didn't even know the West Virginia Power played in Charleston. I didn't really pay attention to the difference between the West Virginia Black Bears and the West Virginia Power. And, and, and oh, I knew one of them played in Charleston. I knew one of them played in Morgantown, but I could never get them straight. Right. Uh, 
And when I got a call from Andy Shea, the owner of the Lexington Legends, which I was doing some consulting with for the last several years, he asked me what I would feel about helping him out with a franchise he was going to buy in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, I said, well, I've never been there, so let me go to Charleston and check it out. And I came to the town, and I uh, primarily the first thing you always want to do is look at the ballpark. Right. Uh, and if the ballpark is, is is decent, then you look a little further into the town. But the ballpark was – I was pleasantly surprised at the condition of the ballpark, uh, where it was located, and it had a nice little feel to it. I said, let's continue the discussion. But I knew if I took the job, I knew almost immediately – that I would change the name. Okay, so let's talk about that because it was also not just a name change. You also had the league change. Um, and what drove then just the desire to change the name and how did you come up with the Dirty Birds, which I love that. But I also want to go go into also, there's a life cycle for these things, right? Like you, there's always an initial reaction to the brand and it usually is very polarized, right? Love it or hate it. And then invariably just ask the Amarillo sod poodles people end up becoming in love with it as time goes on so how has that whole experience gone for you guys well Jim I've, I've done this several times I did it initially with the iron pigs in Lehigh Valley then the flying squirrels then the yard goats in Hartford trash pandas I was working with them when when I you know I was in that in a committee if you will to choose that name um uh, the rubber ducks in Akron. So I've been hands-on in a lot of these logo changes and they are name changes and they're never popular when you run a contest because, you know, just do the math. If you have right. 6,000 entries and you go down to a top 10, immediately 5,990 people think you made a mistake because you didn't pick their name. <laughs> and then you then you go from 10 down to the, the winner and then you just added nine more people to those 5,990. <laughs> right. And, and so people, you know, so you're going to have a lot of those people are going to be vocal about why uh, their their name was better than your name and your name was a mistake and it's the worst name in the world and they're never going to come to a game and it's an embarrassment to live in a city with a baseball team with that name. And then then uh, shortly thereafter, they're buying the merchandise, they're wearing the pig snouts, you know, it, it, and it, it, it always, ha invariably it happens that way almost every, you know, the, all the all the people that really hate it, they kind of exhaust themselves with, with hating it. And, and usually what we do is we give about a three week, uh, on most cases, we give three weeks before we, we release the logo after the name. And then once they see the logo, everything usually comes together for them. Now we right. did it a little different here because we wanted to do it mid seed. We wanted to do it before the season ended. First time, that, to my knowledge, that anybody has ever done it uh, while the season was going on. And I just wanted to get the momentum going into the offseason, take advantage of the last few games of the season for merchandise sales at the ballpark, have everything ready for the Christmas season and ride that momentum uh, through. So we didn't really do a, a name the team contest. We It was more of a guess the name of the team contest. Uh, myself and Andy Shea discussed a few different names five months ago. And I came up with this name because, you know, doing a little research on, on West Virginia, um, you know, and um, it, we, we, we came up, it was a small committee of people, myself, the owner, Mary Nixon, our vice president, and, and, you know, and we, you know, thinking about different, you know, they already had the Mountaineers, you already had the Black Bears, right. you immediately start thinking about the hills of West Virginia, 
and you know what's up in those mountains what animal can we go with i've always been kind of an uh, an animal guy for these logos uh, and and uh, mary actually mentioned the canary uh, in the coal mines and that's okay what can we do i didn't want to be the I didn't want to be canaries, you know, right. I, it was too soft. And you, and there's already fun. a, you already have Sioux Falls as the canaries already. Right. And you don't want that brand confusion. Right. And, and it, so it was, it was a little too generic. So, so just throwing around um, the dirty birds is what came up next. You know, canaries got dirty in the coal mines and we wrote a nice narrative for that. And, and the people we introduced the team on the field last Tuesday on the second game of the doubleheader and the narrative explained why we decided explain the, the why the canary was a dirty bird and why he was a hero uh, to the industry of the coal mines in West Virginia and in this state capital of West Virginia we should be celebrating this you know brave little creature so all of that kind of and then introducing the logo at the same exact time it immediately resonated with all the people in the ballpark and then the uh, media attention we got afterwards all kind of supported the narrative and it just you know it just all came together and and it's been a it's been a good move so far you know knock on wood i think but i think it's gonna we were already seen a lot of kids young kids wearing dirty bird stuff the west virginia power did not resonate with the younger uh generation of fans well, I know that you just sold 70 bucks worth of gear to Austin, Texas. So it, it, it'll be shipped to me very soon. Um, yeah. I like to do that when I'm interviewing a guy's buy gear while you're doing that. It's, it's always fun <laughs> for me. Um, talk a little bit real quick about just then moving into the Atlantic League. What's it been like for you guys? I'm a big fan of the Atlantic League in general. So how has that gone this first year? Well, it has been an eye-opening experience. I'll, I'll tell you, I being an affiliate baseball previous to this for 38 years, and not really having to deal with uh, the players hands-on as much uh, because the major league team took care of all that. But uh, you know, Mary Nixon in the office, she handles more of the players' end of things, payroll and workers' comp issues and things like that. So it comes with a heavy load of paperwork that uh, right. I, I didn't know it existed. But uh, outside of that, you know, getting to know the players better uh, when you're an affiliated baseball, you know, you, they're the they're the employees of the major league team. So you really don't feel as though you get to know them as much and you don't you, you don't have as as vested interest in their and how they're performing as much as uh, you do in the Atlantic League. At least I didn't. And I do now. Uh, I felt I found myself, Jim, following the team uh, on on the road with more interest than I ever did before in affiliated baseball. And it's, I like it. I think probably for the reasons you like it. And, and the players are so passionate and they play for the love of the game. And they're in, they're in Charleston, West Virginia, because they chose to be in Charleston, West Virginia. They weren't assigned here by a major league club. Right. And these guys are competitive. I tell you, we've had a couple of, uh, no, I'm not, not going to mention any names, but we've had a couple players leave the team this year because they felt they weren't playing enough. Uh, they, they don't get paid a whole lot of money anywhere in minor league baseball, including independent league. And a lot of these guys, they know that their days trying to get to the major leagues are behind them, but they are just as competitive as any baseball player in any league in this country. And, and I didn't, I didn't expect that. I didn't know what I really expected. I thought maybe guys were here, 
playing out the string just uh, because they just didn't want to move on to uh, their real life's work uh, quite yet. But that's not the case. They're playing baseball, living every day, trying to win every day. And whether they have dreams of ever getting back to Major League Baseball or not, they want to go out uh, on a high note for their baseball career. That's well said. And I think, you know, the other thing is, is, is like you mentioned before, you mentioned your magic, you guys want to win. It isn't just uh, developing for the home club. And if we win, it's nice. You guys are actually out there to win the championship. Oh yeah. You, we're not, you know, we're not, we don't have pitch counts. If, if there is a pitch count, it's only because you're trying to uh, save the guy's arm for the next game. It's not like you're trying to save his arm for the next 20 years. You know, yeah. you, 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 everything is done here on a daily basis to win. The starting lineup is put together with only one goal in mind to win. It's not, it's not to develop it. The other eight guys aren't there to make sure that the top prospect shortstop is going to get to the major leagues. They're, they're actually all trying to take, you know, they're trying to play so they can get in the starting lineup and stay in the starting lineup and keep, keep uh, somebody else on the bench. Um, you know, they're pulling for themselves and, and if, you know, if everybody pulls for themselves and plays as best they can, then the team entire team benefits, of course. Absolutely. Um, well, let's play a little rapid fire then Chuck. I know, um, are you ready? Are you ready for this? Is your mind clear? Uh, I got two cups of coffee. I mean, let's see where we go with it. Let's do it. Hot dogs or brats? Oh, brats, hundred percent brats. Okay. Strong start. Superman or Batman? Batman. What's the strangest thing you've ever seen in a ballpark? Oh, wow. You know, just to, just this year alone is in, uh, in the Atlantic League, I've seen a lot of strange things. That's a, that's a tough one because I've been in it for so long. Uh, on the field or off the field or what do you – I know it's not rapid fire right now. Uh, um, no, anything. You know, I mean, you know like well, – You made- know what? I, I, I'll tell you, I, it's a, one thing that always comes to mind is a promotion we did in Reading years ago. Uh, we had Tiny Tim, and Tiny Tim. Uh, this is my favorite story to tell. And I know this isn't rapid fire, but if no, you take your time, it, please. Uh, Tiny Tim came in, and and we had him sing between games on a Fourth of July doubleheader, and he 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 had a whole medley of songs. I told him he had fifteen minutes. He had his ukulele out, um, and he sang and sang but what he didn't tell us was that he closed his eyes when he when he sang so he closed his eyes shut and just went from memory from song to song and he had about a half hour worth of songs in his memory bank and the other the the team both teams were out the pitchers were warm they're ready to go (laughs) and we can't get him to stop because his eyes are closed and we don't want to embarrass him but finally we had to go out and and yell because tiptoe through the tulips was gonna be his last song and when we signaled one song left, he was supposed to go with that. So finally, someone had to go right up in his ear in front of 5,000 people and yell, tiptoe through the tulips so <laughs> that, that, that he did. So but, but the, the funnier part of that story is, Jim, after, after that, he went to a table and he signed autographs for two or three hours during the second game, ne- nonstop, never left the table, was drinking 32-ounce sodas throughout the whole, the whole signing. And at one point I realized this man hasn't gone to the bathroom. <laughs> so I went up, I whispered in his ear, tiny, um, you need a bathroom breaks. And he whispered in my ear, don't worry about it, Mr. Chuck. I'm wearing depends. 
<laughs> you weren't ready for that one, were you? I was not ready for that one. I'm now I'm like, which rapid fire question are we on? That's amazing. Wearing the pens. All right. Uh, Godfather one or two? Oh, Godfather one. Okay. Oh, good. Yes. Uh, if you could own one team, not your favorite team, what team would that be? Any sport. What's, what's the question? If you could own any team, not your favorite one, what would it be? That's a that's a that's a tough one. Um, I would have to say, well, when you say not my favorite team, my favorite team in major league is Pittsburgh Pirates. Yes, you can't and own the Pirates. But I wouldn't want to own the Pirates. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I would, if I had if I had that kind of money, I wouldn't be on the Pirates. Unfortunately, um, you know, I'm I'm partial to the to the Reading Phillies, the Reading Fighting Phils. Okay. Uh, that's 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 the team I would want to own. What a great ballpark too! Um, it's a beautiful ballpark. Yeah. All right, Star Wars or Jaws? Jaws. Uh, what would you pick for your last meal on Earth? A a sauce a sausage hot sausage sandwich with peppers and onions. <laughs> and would you eat that? Would you have a last meal with Michael Scott from The Office or Leslie Note from Parks and Rec? Michael Scott. Okay. Uh, can you think of real quick, not real quick, but was the first time baseball ever broke your heart? Oh, well, when Roberto Clemente died, uh, that, that, that was, you know, cause I was just getting into, into baseball and, and, you know, I saw Clemente in his last three years and Roberto Clemente is the reason why I'm sitting in his chair today. He's the reason why I got interested in baseball. And of course, you know, I wasn't the only one who got his heart broke on that. Millions of people yeah. did. So that's the first heartbreak. The second heartbreak uh, that stands out again, going back to I told you I was a pirate fan uh, when when Sid Bream slid in and took the Pirates out of the World Series in 19. I guess it would have been 1992 playoffs against the Braves. Uh, and I had tickets to go to the World Series. Uh, I was leaving the next day to go to Pittsburgh and I, I was, I was just stuck on the couch for hours after that, watched every replay, hoping that the next replay would show something different. <laughs> and, uh, I remember that. that was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as a, watching a baseball game goes, that was the biggest heartbreak uh, as a pirate fan. And uh, that's the closest we've been for 30 years. Yeah, mine was game six of the 1986 uh, NL, uh, the a, uh, NLCS, Astros versus Mets. Just yeah, crushing. All right, last question then. If not baseball, what other sport would you work in? Uh, probably football. Probably football would be my, my second choice. Yeah. All right. Well, Chuck, thanks so much for jumping on Let's Get To and best of luck uh, on the playoff stretch uh, for for the Dirty Birds getting hopefully making the uh, Atlantic League playoffs. Thank you, Jim. Nice talking to you. Raiders of the Lost Diamond, a look into baseball's past. So we are back here on Raiders of the Lost Diamond, and we are going to take a deep dive into baseball in West Virginia. When John Denver sang, take me home country roads to West Virginia, he might have been talking about hitting up a baseball game. Since West Virginia was formed during the Civil War era, baseball has been part of its culture. 
Starting in 1866, he saw teams springing up all around railroad towns, much as you did across the nation. The first professional team in West Virginia, the Wheeling Standards, took the field for the first time in 1877. With the rise of organized Major League Baseball, their minor league system soon followed. Teams included the Wheeling Stogies, the Fairmont Colers, with other teams soon following, including the Huntington Blue Sox, who won a Virginia Valley League pennant in 1914. Charleston, now home to the Dirty Birds, also had the Charleston Charlies, the Charleston Wheelers, and the West Virginia Power. While the Charleston Dirty Birds and the West Virginia Black Bears carry the banner for baseball in the Mountain State now, one must remember the days of the Beckley Bengals, the Bluefield Blue Jays, the Grafton Wanderers, the Huntington Rail Kings, the Mannington Drillers, the Ohio Valley Redcoats, the Parkersburg Parkers, the River City Rumblers, and the Welch Miners. Taking me home country roads is one thing, as long as you're also taking me out to a ballgame. And now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So it does wrap up this episode of Let's Get To You. Thanks so much to the Charleston Dirty Birds for coming on, telling the story of the brand. And I really do think it's going to grow, and I think it's going to end up being part of that community, just like we've seen with so many brands before. So this is actually going to be our last episode for a bit. We're going to take next week off for a couple of reasons. One, we are hard at work at what I think is going to be a blast of a Halloween episode. We're out at Bowling Green for their Halloween night, and we're building the episode around that, including a fun segment as we partner up with our movie show, Screen Jocks. And speaking of movies, next week we're going to be attending the San Angelo Revolution Film Festival. For those of you who maybe don't know, um, my main career is independent film, and one of the things I do is put on and host film festivals, and this will be the first year in person for St. Angelo. Uh, we're going to be screening our Christmas movie, A Chance of Snow, which I'll be putting online for free um, coming up this Christmas. But we're excited. We're excited to get out there and, and have an in-person film festival again. We're excited to see friends we haven't seen now in a couple of years. So it's going to be a good time. And, but don't worry. Like I said, we'll be back right before Halloween. Uh, it's going to be a blast. So until then, I hope that your, your baseball playoffs are going the way you want them to. I hope that you're at least enjoying the games. Make sure you stay caught up on everything on this show. And until next time, let's get to it.